If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello, my lovely podcast listener. How are you today? You find me upstairs in Mickey's room, which is also my wardrobe room. I did manage to get this place quite organised for a while, but now it's looking like it needs a bit of TLC. I've been working quite a lot recently. And actually, this is my first weekend off in eight weekends, I think, nine weekends. Lots of festivals, lots of gigs. So it's been really nice just not going out and just taking some time with the family and just, yeah, not living out of a bag for a weekend. The festivals have been amazing. I've had some awesome gigs, but I am quite happy just to be sat at home um, and not doing so much. And that's probably why I sound quite so lethargic. I think I'm actually fairly knackered. It's been a lot of seven-day weeks going on around here. And I think also we're kind of heading towards half terms so that the kids are a bit knackered too. In fact, my youngest, Mickey, is not very well today, which is a shame. There's so many bugs going around, aren't there, now that we're all out and about and meeting each other again. All those other things that were being repressed are now out and about. Um, And, yeah, I've got quite a busy week ahead, but I've done the majority of my stuff for the book now, the promotion of that, so that's out in the world. And thank you so much for all the response that I've been having. If you're one of the people that has got in touch about the book, then honestly, it meant a lot to me. It's It's been a slightly... Well, what's the right word? I suppose it's just it's made me feel a bit more vulnerable than the usual release. When you put an album out into the world, albums are laced with lots of stuff. They're incredibly collaborative. And even though there might be lots of your own emotions in there that are completely authentic to what you're living through, 
you can mask it in amongst other things and other characters, whereas in the book, if it's an autobiography, there's not really those layers, you know. It'd be a bit weird if I, uh, I wrote a whole chapter where I was talking about how I felt about something, but I did it as if I was a witch uh, living in a house on top of the hill. Like Love is a Camera, for example. <laughs> I don't know if that reference quite made sense to you, but I knew what I meant. Um, and this week, uh, your lovely guest for the podcast is someone that I first read about at the BBC website. And there was an article about this lady, and I just thought, whoa, what a different life she's been living. So her name is Pallavi. She lives in Delhi with her little boy, who is eight years old. She went through, grew up in a very traditional Indian family, although there were kind of, I don't know, sort of whispers and talking you know, in hushed tones around her family because the fact emerged that her mother had had an affair. So that was the sort of backdrop to her upbringing where she'd be asked questions. There was a lot of intrigue about her mum and about this adventure she'd had with another man. And Pallavi herself went into an arranged marriage and was not very happy with it. There wasn't really any love there and came out the other side and had a lot of her own experiences as a single woman dating people. I mean, she did have a little boy by then, but she was, you know, leading quite an active dating life and would talk to her friends about all the men she was meeting and the dynamic of those relationships and sexual encounters. And people started to come to her for advice because actually it's a very, she found it, it was a very repressed society. And generally speaking, people weren't being very open about sex. Now, here in the UK, growing up in the UK, I'd say by and large, we're not as repressed as all that insofar as, you know, you don't have to look very far to, uh, you know, you, if you started to have a conversation with a friend about sex life, that's not an unusual thing that you could chat to someone about that if you wanted to. However, in my own life, I'm not sure that I am quite that open, really. So even though Pallavi has led a very different life growing up in India and now primarily speaking to other Indian men and women about how to help them be their full 360 um, sexual selves, I'm not sure that I feel like I'm a million miles away from that insofar as I think I've I was always quite prudish, really, and I'm getting better articulating those things as I've got older. So it came to me through adulthood, really, rather than the culture I was growing up in. Um, anyway, there's lots of things that'll make you think about how she speaks and what the work she's been doing and also the turnaround in her life. So over to Pallavi and our chat, which we did remotely because she was, um, yeah, it was nighttime in Delhi when we spoke. And I will see you on the other side. giving me your time today um i i first read about you on the bbc website um and i thought your story really stood out because um well firstly i think you know being a sex therapist is something and a couples um therapist is something that is is you know not everybody ends up in that line of work but i think it's such a valuable and important part of our culture that people can talk about these things and know where to go for advice because otherwise all these things get so pushed down. But also because you were talking about growing up um, in a culture where traditionally women, particularly, their sexuality and sexual needs and desires are incredibly repressed. Um, so when you, you're, because you have a, a little boy, is that right? Hmm. Yes. Yeah, so is he about eight? Is that? Uh, he's nine. He's nine. Okay, yeah, I've got a nine-year-old as well. 
And so were you were you in this line of work when you had your baby? Um no so i'm a sexuality coach i'm uh, not a therapist okay and uh, and uh, yeah i mean uh, it's uh, when he was born i was like uh, the typical uh, you know typical conservative woman with uh, the the limited understanding of life like okay i mean i would say have a family growth was something that never crossed my mind for me growth was something that i just counted in the money like okay how much raise i'm going to have each each year is that is how i measured my growth not as a person mm. not as a woman you know it was never about my individuality so uh, i mean to talk about my journey how i became a sex educator or a coach um, it was i think uh, it it is definitely a mix of life experiences as uh, i i i came from a dysfunctional family and uh, I, both my parents had affairs okay but my mother's affair was something that did not go well because she was the dependent she was financially dependent so even though both the people had their own share of mistakes it was my mother who ended up paying it for more because she was a dependent woman mm-hmm. in a patriarchal society uh at the same time as a kid i was sensitized to relationships which did not just follow the norm like you know the conventional heterosexual monogamous marriage but i also saw other relationships at a very tender age and that also kind of helped me uh, open up and be sensitive to and not be judgmental because i also saw this happening in my very own family mm. but then i was like very uh, determined that you know i'm not going to repeat this in my life my family would be something i will be having a stable family that was i was so so determined about it mm-hmm. um but at the same time what i now understand is that it's not just you and your husband it's also the culture around you that shapes the family yeah so the culture around me was very restrictive uh be it sexually restrictive like you know right from the day one like i was in a, a relationship before i got married which was also i was sexually active in that relationship it was a committed relationship so i would not go into the judgment that had it been casual would it be still okay but let's say that the social norm is that you know you need to be sexual with someone you are committed so i was committed in every sense but the relationship could not work well uh, the boy broke up and even though i had all the right reasons to say that you know i did not do anything wrong because mm-hmm. i was committed and i was looking for a life together i was looking to get married by the social standpoint mhm yet my parents said that okay now that we are going to arrange a marriage for you you need to be quiet about it that you know you had a relationship and it was sexual relationship because uh-huh. in india and this is i'm saying in india in the context of arranged marriages which is marriages arranged by families you cannot actually say that you are sexually experienced or you are sexually active you yeah. need to pretend that if you are not you need to pretend that you are a virgin this is for majority of like maybe there could be some rare cases we are not i'm not talking about outliers i'm talking about predominant uh, you know the behavior mm. so mm. i was also said told that okay i need to be uh, i need to pretend that i'm a virgin i pretended to be a virgin um on the eve of wedding night it was again uh, i thought like and i still get these stories from women even now when they say ma'am what will happen if our husbands would get to know that we are not virgin mm. <laughs> and i i tell them that you know there is no way he can figure out <laughs> figure that out <laughs> yes it's 
stage one, they can't figure it out, true. <laughs> uh, but also, I suppose there's that trepidation and that way that it made you feel. And I, and also, forgive my clumsiness with my language. So you've called yourself uh, a coach rather than a therapist. What what is the difference? Because I've that, I'm obviously a bit daft there. What what's the di- differentiation? The differentiation between coach and a therapist? Yes. So, uh, I'm not a medical professional, as in I cannot prescribe medicine. That's one. Okay. Uh, The second is my scope of work is more around education. Okay. It is more about, in our society, there is a lack of, like, basic sex education that they don't know about their bodies. They don't know about uh, communication. There is so much of challenge and block talking to each other. Yeah. So... It's more on the education side. I'm, I can say it's an education. I'm an educationist. Okay. So do you actually work in within schools? No, I don't work with schools. It's mostly uh, the adults. Uh, and I, I'm certified as an educator and a NLP practitioner and a couple of other uh, certifications that I have. So I, I work as a coach. Like coaching people, like, you know, I would say it's like from a wellness point of view. It's not yeah. something is wrong with you. But it is something that you want to enhance and you want to have a coach. Got it. So sometimes with this education, presumably, it's also teaching people how to, what information they pass on to their kids and to the next generation. Because presumably that's still a big part of, of how you're helping people, you know, make the next generation feel a lot more comfortable and empowered. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and are you, are you seeing things change with with things? Do you think? I mean, I suppose it's you know we're we're talking about a big culture here where that, as you say, you call it patriarchal. You know, this is this is not something that can be moved on overnight. But being somewhere like Delhi, where it's you know, is it is it progressing? See, it it is changing. I would definitely not say it is progressing because uh, again, there is this new wave of sexual uh, libera- liberation that has kind of. Uh, you know that has kind of engulfed our country all over like right from the lgbtqia plus uh, movement where people are coming out and people are talking about bisexuality and uh, same-sex relationships you know that's actually has grown up uh, over the years and extramarital relationships divorces all of this is happening in my country but at the same time if i talk about the young people uh, there's this thing there is this i would say fad it's like a fad which is like a trend of uh, hookups and casual sex mm-hmm. which is uh, it is also somewhere to look cool because i've seen i remember i was there was a time when i was like i was not a sex educator 5 6 years down the line mm-hmm. before i became a sex educator and i was talking to a friend and he said okay i have slept with 65 women or i have slept with 100 women or i have mm-hmm. slept with uh, 35 so it's like keeping a score Mm. I've actually seen a uh, lot of people still they talk about the number of sexual partners and I say hey you being your sexual progress doesn't depend on number of people you sleep with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. and actually I think that's something that's maybe um st- still evolving with how people think of themselves actually. <laughs> you know because I think especially when you're young it's all about the idea of you know I mean what notches on a bedpost you know that's where that kind of idea comes from that, that yeah the more people you've you've had you know sex with or been with intimately the the, the more you're progressing 
Yeah, yes. I mean, uh, it was like there was actually a pressure because uh, because you know I've been through these circles also. Like my journey is not just is not just formed by the books I read or the courses I attended, but it's actually through my life I have met people at different stages. There was a time when I absolutely was against marriage. Like you mm. know. I mean, if I go back and read my three or four years post, I was so so. Uh, I, I was actually rebelling because I had been through a failed marriage and I've seen extramarital affairs, and I was like questioning the sanctity of marriage. And I said, okay, there is no marriage. And then I came in touch with a group of people who said that, okay, you know, you you can have five or six partners, and you can have individual relationship with those partners. And for me, I said, okay, that's that's good because at least it will not. get me to do the deeper work you know mm-hmm. i can be superficially connected to five or six people and it's keeping this in a limitation like okay it's more of a sexual and acquaintance kind of a relationship but not really i felt that one to one is too much of a hard work mm-hmm. and it's like i'm incapable of that and somewhere i started believing so it was you know it was not just my own belief but also an external influence which is what i am really worried about when i see this new culture unfolding is that because we don't have sex ed because when we don't have conversations empowered informed conversations around sex we end up relying a lot on our peer group who is yeah. as uninformed yeah. who is just as influenced yeah. and we think that okay this is something if my peer group is like having hookups and casual sex or yeah. this let me just go with the flow of course yeah and absolutely and and i suppose it's peer groups and also the internet because um is it still the case that india is one of the this like one of the main places for things like pornhub and for people watching that is that right is that still still the case yes we are the world's third i think the last report i saw it was a third third ranked country in the terms of viewership in on pornhub yeah because i guess is and how is what sex education like now in india is it is it starting to be something that's coming in or I can tell you uh thanks to social platforms where uh, Instagram especially you know a lot of people have come up not a lot of people see we are a country of 1 billion population I can mm. actually count on my fingers the number of educators we have uh with the sexologist we did have sexologists but it's more of a medical view of uh, yeah. you know the okay there is vaginismus or but but the talk about pleasure is so intimidating yeah pleasure like, that's I, the thing is that can i i can still talk about health i can still talk about menstruation i can still talk about safe sex but can i talk about fantasies or can can i talk about uh, how i love to masturbate or what is the way i masturbate like you know masturbation is something where you don't go on a level of personalization like mm. okay individual can have like i i was i just once posted and sometimes i know i'm revealing a lot about my personal life because i feel we need to have role models where people know that masturbation doesn't mean that you know the kind of images that seen porn they think that masturbation is vigorous shaking of the penis like it's yeah. like vigorous like you know you actually something is kind of and, and <laughs> that's and i say okay masturbation could be just touching yourself while you are reading a book okay you are reading a book and you felt like just touching which is you are just keeping your hand on your external labia mm-hmm. and just might be just flicking your fingers around like just like fingertips just touching the labia with your fingertips and you are reading the book or you might be on a call and i i wrote this that you might be on a call and you might be touching and then they say that okay this is very very uh i would say disrespecting to the other person on the call 
and I said I didn't go there. I mean, I can touch my body, and it might not have to do with the other person. So they actually felt that I'm trying to get some sense stimulation, but it can go so haywire. My 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 idea was to you can masturbate even while you do things like you know you're just thinking about something or you're just in stress. So just to normalize masturbation. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, I mean, listening to you speak, I was thinking that actually um, being able to be open about that thing you said, pleasure, and pleasure when it comes to your sexual self, is something that a lot of adults don't necessarily get to that. It's not sort of regarded as part of our development, if you know what I mean, that that's an important, you know, we're, we're encouraged, but to actually speak about it. And even in my own upbringing and talk at school and all of that I don't think I don't think that was massively part of my generation's emphasis when it came to sex either in fact I think a lot of it was about about how the other person would feel when you were having sex and if you were seeming like you knew what you were doing and if you were experienced and all this kind of thing so there's sort of almost three sort of sides to it really I suppose from your first experiences with um your arranged marriage and being encouraged to keep very quiet about the world, you know, the life you'd led, led before it. And then being, feeling empowered enough and mature enough to be able to acknowledge how you were actually feeling, what was important. But then making it part of how you actually, you know, spend your days and your, your job, that's something that's, you know, are you kind of amazed really in a way that that's now something that you're, if you look back on how you were then, hmm. it's now, because it's still quite recent, I guess, if, your little boy's only nine, you know, it's not, it's still quite relatively recent history, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah, ex- exactly. And how long have you been a sex educator now? I started in 2017 okay. and I would literally say I came out in 2018. What do you <laughs> mean? I, so I was this anonymous blogger. Okay. I created a page where I didn't even put my surname because I, I was in a job and I didn't want people to find me. And I was just pouring my heart out. So it was all. It was only my first name followed by the uh, abbreviated surname, like Pallavi B. Mm-hmm. So I used the B so that no one can actually find out. Yeah. And uh, it took me one year because I knew that if my office is going to discover that, you know, I'm talking about sexuality and I was in a day job, either there would be a lot of gossip mongering behind my back, you know, and yeah. which I was not ready to, I was not comfortable uh, me being the fodder of gossip, which I was very sure that there will be gossiping or either I will be fired. So I knew that there would be very, but then over a period of time, I gained courage that, okay, now I think I will be able to stand on my feet. I will, I have enough savings. And then I decided to came out. <laughs> like I, it was my coming out journey. <laughs> so when you, how did you do that? You actually sort of decided to set up a website with your name attached or, or set up a business. What was the coming out? How did that manifest? So, <laughs> I was anyways thinking of leaving the job, but I got fired. So it was actually pre-poned uh, six months before. And then I said, okay, now that I'm fired, I'm not going to go back and mm-hmm. do that job. I'm going to give some time to really see if I can work it out. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I, I just created a page on uh, Facebook because it's like four years back. Instagram was not that popular. Mm-hmm. So I created a page on Facebook and uh, I started writing vigorously. So I know that I had a lot of material from my own personal life, which mm-hmm. feel like you know, I had a got lot of stock yeah. of stories. Yeah. So I said, okay, let me first start. And then I started getting stories of people like uh, they started talking about me as if I'm a therapist or I'm a doctor. And I said, okay, why they're reaching out? I can't help them. I'm just a writer. Yeah. But they reached out to me because they knew, they always say that, you know, 
you are uh, uh, thank thank you there is someone who can uh, who we can confide and who will not judge us exactly because, yeah because they thought i am talking about my sex life so i will not judge their sex life so yeah and that made me think that okay this is some way more than i have imagined the problem is way more the issues are way more and there is no one and i had all the inspiration to really think of it as a career yeah but like they they probably think yeah not only because you're very honest so you you can they can talk to you because as you say you won't be judgmental but also you have uh, you've been on both sides of the tracks as well you know you've been that person that felt like that side of yourself was just not even acknowledged and in fact quite shameful actually so the fact that you've experienced all of that so i think sometimes we think of people who work in that field as being people who've always been incredibly confident about talking yeah. openly about those things and maybe grew up in a household where it was quite you know comfortable with that so actually to the fact you've been through all all the spectrum is quite amazing have you had some good conversations with your family since since this i tell you that's again uh, so thankfully my family was not uh, uh, resistant in the sense they did not kind of uh, threaten me that okay because there are so many families a lot of people have those families yes, but i course. would not say they are supportive we follow a don't ask don't tell policy yeah so you know they won't ask any questions i won't give any answers but now it's somewhere because of these features uh, global features or national features i've started sending them links uh, and they read it and they feel okay their daughter is somewhere featured with me she she's doing something which is like you know right even though she talks about sex and i actually you know i'm i, I am assumed amused when my mother so just yesterday she was talking to someone and the other person asked what does your daughter do and she said she is a sex educator and that i saw my mother utter this word like sex it's such a big thing for me so that was only yesterday <laughs> yes wow yeah but i guess things like you know the fact that it reached me all the way here on the on the bbc website and i know you've also given a ted talk and i think these things are you know that's that's like a real stamp of uh credibility in a proper platform Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wegovy or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care. a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey if you qualify they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. What, what was the significance for you of doing the TED Talk, do you think? I think uh, when I was approached for a TED talk, I had, uh, I had like ideas like what do I present and I knew that since this is a public platform and there will be people who will be seeing me, I wanted to come out very raw. Like, like as you said that, you know, I've seen that entire spectrum. So I said, okay, I'm going to talk about my knowledge and wisdom, but I'm also going to talk about how I acquired it. What was mm. the journey behind it? Yeah. So I remember, you know, there's this line where I actually said that I gave oral sex to my partners, S in plural, but I never received one from them. Like that was my story about my own inhibitions about receiving oral sex as a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Like it is something I feel guilty about it because the other person is doing me a favor. Though when I do it to him, <laughs> it's he is, he is, he deserves it, but I don't deserve it. I mean, that inhibition was there in my mind for such a long period of time. So I talked about this on stage and I was like, oh my God, I'm talking about my story of oral sex on a public stage. <laughs> and I thought, okay, people is go- people are going to throw stones at me after I come out. I was like ready for a backlash, but they were so supportive. Like they, I think everyone said that this is very unique and unconventional. And I know, and I know what I'm doing is something, I'm not encouraging people to, you know, talk about their sex lives on a public platform. At the same time, I know it's absolutely crucial for few of us to do so that millions could have their sex life sorted in the bedroom. It is absolutely a need of the art for at least some people to come up and talk about, you know, what a real sex life is. What is a negotiation? You can mug up as much theory as is possible, but when you are in bedroom with that man or a woman, the, the concept of real negotiation and, you know, you, your theory is just going to be there out of the door (laughs) unless you have not practiced it. Yeah. No, I think I think you really hit the nail on the head as well where you said, you know, the fact that you're doing that will actually help millions of people because that's how it trickles through. And just normalizing, even even that idea of, you know, oh, I always felt like they were doing me a favor. You know, it's like, I think that probably these are things that are so entrenched in a lot of us. Um Particularly, particularly when you're on the, the female side of things in a straight relationship, because when you're young, you know, it's still not until I think it's still evolving that women are allowed to be seen as, as equal in terms of setting the tone of what's happening, the parameters of what feels OK. You know, we've got so many conversations going on all the time, haven't we, about consent. And we're looking left and right. We're looking at our, our young boys um, and talking to them about that side of things and how we can help them actually understand. I think I saw something on your Instagram where you said um, saying yes or no, that, that that we have that as the bar of what is the acceptance of consent, yeah. such a low bar. I thought that was such a brilliant perception because, yes, there's lots of ways to have a conversation where you can sense that, the, you know, someone's not comfortable, even if they haven't actually said no. I think in a way, I mean, that's probably like we're still getting the no thing established, aren't we? But, but all this stuff, it's still, still getting out there. And I suppose 
so much of it is just so recent, you know, we were, we're not here, we're not that far away from, you know, Victorian England, where it was very, a very different level of expectation and, uh, and, 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 and depravity because it was also so pushed behind doors, really. Yeah. Um, so your upbringing, where did you grow up, Plavi? So I grew, grew up in a small city um, and uh, again, it was a patriarchal in the sense not uh, thankfully, you know, my parents were always forthcoming about education, but they had this clear role defined that you need to get married and you need to have your own home and sexuality was no, no, like mm. you can't talk about sex. And even while I was married, I think I also internalized that, okay, sex is something which is not for me. You know, maybe it is something which is more for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, did you, are you part of a big family? Yeah. Yes. I have a joint family. <laughs> and where are you in the pecking order? Where are you in the, in the lineup? Are you near the bottom or near the top with your siblings? So, uh, like, uh, we are a ton of siblings. And I would like to mention here that, you know, my extended family doesn't talk to me they don't okay. talk to me because uh, again I've chosen this line of work they don't let their kids talk to me because they think I will be a bad influence and some of their kids do talk to me I was they gonna say I bet to they me. want to talk to you yes and that doesn't surprise me at all yeah and the kids <laughs> kids do come and kids do talk to me and one of the kids is bisexual and uh, you know that the person uh, he found support and he said okay I'm glad that there is someone in my family but you know it's such a discreet thing that I can't reveal yeah. the gender I can't reveal of course but uh, again that's like the, the when the topic of sex comes in like you know yeah. there is this uh, I was outcasted from my own family yeah my parents are there with me my parents talk to me but none of my extended relatives none of them talk to me yeah, that's the level tough. of judgment yeah yeah judgment and I think as well um there's this weird thing, isn't it, that if that if conversations are had, it's going to sort of introduce ideas to people that they didn't have, that it's something, you know, it's going to unleash this side of them. Whereas actually, all you're really doing is allowing people to not feel ashamed of that side of themselves and lead a yeah. happier, more fulfilled life. But I think yeah. there's lots of ways that fear can show itself, um, particularly when it comes to, you know, particularly if, you, if you're part of a generation that wasn't given that and you end up thinking, well... I've lived my life without prioritizing that and everything's been fine for me. And the idea that someone else might have an experience that's somehow a little, a little more open, a little more relaxed, that also throws into sharp relief your own choices you've made. Because actually there's a lot of bravery in going from, you know, that traditional upbringing to where you are now. Yes, I would like to mention this incident and this is not, this is just maybe I would say uh, maybe a handful of instances. Like I was doing this talk with uh, Suchandra Das, who is a she's a lesbian and she has married her female partner, and she was talking about something which is called as corrective rape. And I was like, "What is that? Corrective mm. rape?" And she said that if a girl is lesbian, so what? Some families they think that if they if they anyhow they get her to have sex with a man, she will get a taste of what intercourse is, and she can, uh, then she might turn into a heterosexual. So not everyone, of course, a lot of families do support. So I'm not saying this is a generalization, but even if it is happening with even with one girl in the country, yeah. I mean, imagine the atrocity and most of these people who commit co corrective rape are her from own family, her own uncles or maybe cousin brothers. Oh my goodness. Yes. 
Oh, that's horrific. That's horrific. And corrective rape is just the most horrendous terminology as well. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's been all sorts of atrocities done over the years for sort of trying to, um, you know, make someone who is uh, gay, lesbian, turn somewhere else. It's just a horrendous idea. Um, and I, I hadn't heard of that before. That's just... That's deeply traumatic as an idea. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I, I had like goosebumps because even I hadn't heard. Like even being in India, this was something she was telling it to me. And uh, I was like, I was horrified. I said, okay, even if it is one girl or three girl, mm. it, it's still something that really needs to be corrected, like needs to be addressed. Yeah. No matter if it is just a handful of girls. We don't, we, they don't deserve this. Yeah. But it's all about the ignorance and the stigma around sex. Like, okay, sex yeah, I know. When you talked about the stigma around sex, I mean, how much do you think, I suppose it sounds like the seeds were sown very early on about this sort of the way people would speak about your parents' marriage all throughout your childhood, this mystery around your mother's sort of secret life. Is that right? Because I think when I was reading the article, it said that she had had an affair very early on in her relationship with your dad. But yeah. then it had just been sort of, this mystery and people would sometimes ask you questions yes. about it when you were little. Yes. Yeah, that must have been very, I mean, I suppose that set the scene, didn't it? For like, what, what is the mystery here? What is behind that door? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I have, I have even known uh, on some level, I know that every person do have these desires and fantasies for themselves. Mm. There is no person who would say I'm desexualized. But when it comes to on, on a social level, on a cultural level, we like to show ourselves as desexualized beings. We like to disown our sexuality on a social level. So I tell you, when I was 18 and my brother was newly married, it was like just three months in marriage and I went to visit his home. He was my cousin brother. And this my sister-in-law, she was this newly married and very young and beautiful. And she said, okay, let's sleep together and we will just look through the family album of the wedding album. So we had this wedding album and we would just look and uh, scroll through the pictures. Like, we'll, uh, And then my brother, elder brother, he was like, no, she can't sleep with you in your room. I want her in her room, which is now I understand that he wanted to have sex with her that night. He was utterly impatient, though even I was there just for a day. Yeah. I left the next day. So that in, in essence means that, okay, you as much like sex as I do. The only difference is I'm talking about it. How is it any, how it makes such a big difference between you and me mm -hmm. when I just chose to talk about it. Whereas you are equally sexual. You are, you are equally liking sex with your wife so much that you couldn't let her go for a day with me. So, you know, we all have, we are, our culture is obsessed with sex on yeah. some level. Yeah. At, at, at level and we are as much repulsed by it. It's a, it's a very strange conflict that we are as much repulsed by it as much we are obsessed about it yeah yeah but actually when you're when you're repulsed by something but also as you say obsessed by it that also is internalized about yourself about how you feel about your own what what brings you pleasure that becomes repulsive to you as well and that's a that's a really hard way to live your life if it's also something that's a big part of a big part of your life um i suppose you must have heard as well some incredible stories from people that come to see you who maybe are only 
you know, decades and decades into their yeah. their adulthood and they're still they're only just now thinking, actually I really want to I want to find that happiness. Yes. I, I get a lot of stories on sexless marriages and I feel that okay, I understand how it feels to be like there's this man who is thirty nine and he is the senior vice president of a like you know very uh, unicorn e-commerce organization and he says pallavi i'm fit i'm good looking i have really worked out on myself i am successful but this is for what like this is for buying groceries mm. i i don't have a sexual relationship with my wife what i'm doing i'm just managing the chores yeah. but what is more than that so definitely sex is something which is taking your life from ordinary to extraordinary at some level and then you are denied that extraordinariness and you feel like life is all about a set of chores. Yeah. And, and sex is a space where you feel alive, you feel rejuvenated, you feel pleasure and all of this is taken away from you. As a, as a human being, you are a sexual being. We are all sexual beings. Like, of course, I understand asexuals, like say, but not everyone is an asexual. Mm. But we are sexual beings but we are denied our sexuality and then we have to live with that because if i go out and i talk about that my wife is not giving sex to me my character will be murdered my yeah. character will be tarnished i will be a debacle yeah yeah and um so when i'm just trying to get the chronology a little bit so you obviously had a moment where what was the job that you were doing before all this started was it and nothing to do with what you're doing now i imagine so I was uh, I was a product manager. So I was into product development of okay. uh, IT startup. Okay, and this is what you were doing after you've had your baby. Yes, till the time I quit that job. Okay. So do you think when you look back? Because I know that I read that you, when you were thirty-two, you found yourself the other side of your marriage and a single mum, and and. Do you, do you think sometimes some of that sort of empowered you? Do you think that becoming a mother was played a part in you helping you sort of, you know, come out of that, that repressed side of, of your life? I think certainly, um, see, this will not be true for every woman. So I would no, not say motherhood uh, helped me out. But uh, as a mother, you know, I have experienced a very different shade of my sexuality which is responsible sexuality, which is very emotional sexuality, very sensitive sexuality, because I already had that part of me because I had a baby. So, you know, to say that if I, I might be a single woman, it would have been very different for me than when I was a mother also. Yeah. And also that the sexuality of a mother is quite interesting. Like as a mother, um, you know, where you have to tend to your baby in the day and you can be ferocious at the night. And this is just a different shade of you, you know, as a person. So which was very novel for me to discover that there could be two different shades. One could be just so, you know, homely and so uh, affectionate and something where I can be um, really ex asserting my own individuality as a woman. Because, you know, a lot of times when we get into that role of a mother, then it's so difficult to see the woman inside you. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you put that so well. You're very, um, very good at articulating these emotions that happen. And actually, as you say, that sort of spectrum of yourself where you've got the side of you that is the mother. And I totally agree with you, by the way, that motherhood doesn't always play 
play the part, you know, in, in it doesn't always empower, it doesn't always change your life in that way. And I, you know, I've spoken to a lot of, a lot of people now where that's why it's a, a curious subject to me, really, because it's, it's such a broad range of, of ways it can change your life. Uh, sometimes huge. Some people, actually, they just sort of continue on the same trajectory they're already on and the baby just kind of strap on their back and keep going. But for other people, it's, it is a big life change. And I think particularly when it comes to, as you say, your sexual side, the idea of this sensitive, nurturing thing by, by day and then still have the other side of you and acknowledging both mm. and allowing yourself both. I think I know some women hugely struggle, even in pregnancy, that the idea that they can be a sexual person and pregnant is something that they really find, you know, just not, not that instinctive, I guess. Maybe that's another, I don't know if taboo is quite the word, but it's definitely something that's not, not really spoken about that much, really, about how that makes you feel and how you feel about your body. It's such a complicated relationship. Maybe as well it's quite hard to, to work it out sometimes when, when you're in the middle of it. Right, yeah. And now that you have your, your little boy, um, I suppose I, I'm the mother of sons, so I have, I have five sons, and my middle boy is the same age as yours. And it's really made me think as well about how I raise them to be sensitive, responsible, sexual adults one day. Um, because I'm not actually squeamish about the idea of them when they're older, having a sex life. That doesn't freak me out, you know? I, I actually want them to find happiness, but, but how you kind of navigate the waters, especially in this landscape of, of consent and all these kind of things. I mean, is that something you've had to deal with very much? I mean, I don't want, you don't need to say anything private about your son, but more just sort of broadly about, about how it should be approached, I guess. How, how do we talk to our kids about things like that? Mm. Yes, yeah, so I do get queries from parents like uh, there was this uh, parent who had a 20-year-old son and he said, I discovered a packet of condom in my son's bag. Should I be concerned? That was his question. And I said that you should not be because he's a sexually, he, he's at an age, he's a, he's a major, he is already 20. And first of all, that kind of, because, you know, as parents, we are used to see our kids as kids. Yeah. We never see them as growing adults. Yeah, yeah. So, so firstly, kind of reassuring him that his son is an adult. Yeah. Technically, legally, he's an adult. So he can make decisions and this is very obvious. So he was like, oh my God, yeah, that is something which is normal. <laughs> it's normal to see that. And secondly, I say that, you know, you should be happy that he's practicing safe sex. He knows that. He is not, he's going to be sexually safe and healthy. So also showing that condom is not necessarily as something which is a red flag, but it's showing that he's responsible towards sexual activity. He's keeping yeah. himself safe. Because, you know, it's so intimidating for, especially in a relationship like parent and kid, because they think, okay, uh, because we are raised by a generation, our parents never talked about it with us. And we have no framework of how we can talk about it. Yeah. But at the same time, we did not have internet and smartphones and our, our kids have internet and smartphones. So we yes. need to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do you navigate that? What's the, what, what's the, I mean, if I, let's yeah. imagine um, if my 12-year-old saw something online, well, how do I, how should I talk to him about that? So first thing I always tell them that, you know, normalize bodies, including private parts of the body or the private body. You know, for me, I make sure that my son knows the correct name of all his body parts, including the penis. Like my, for my mother, it was so difficult because whenever she was dressing him up, she would say, PV or you know 
chichu i don't know what what yeah. euphemism they use for and i said no it's penis and she was totally shocked that okay how can i say this word even as parents like we create that difference that something between your legs it is you know it is invisible that that the thing between your legs even i see people saying that that thing or this they always address it by that mm-hmm. i know that thing is something so i say it's not this or that it's either sex penis or vulva mm-hmm. so just to normalize these words as any other words now of course i'm also talking about boundaries i'm not saying that okay you go ahead and you talk about it there there are boundaries but your kids should be aware about the body parts first of all secondly kids really react incredibly like respond in, incredibly to their parents stories as parents we had our own journeys of you know of crushes uh, we had been through puberty we i had my own breast development or menstruation or crushes i mean even my father had back in his age where he went through a puberty or he might have seen cinema especially today's parents so why not talk about or why not share those stories as how it was for you growing up the confusion you had the questions you had but you couldn't ask you could very well will be having same questions or even more than that yeah so talk about your own stories with your kids so that they know that you are a human being you are not on a pedestal like you know yeah. a lot of times we put parents on the pedestal as they are these higher beings and they are supposed to know it all and are all sorted and all perfect I mean parents are as imperfect parents are also learning every day for me my struggle as a single mother is which is every day and sometimes I do tell my son like um he he asked me that okay you know why you and dad are not living together and I said that sometimes we we go on our own ways and it's fine for people to go on their own ways but it doesn't make them any less of a person to normalize this because you know sometimes we just paint this idealistic picture of relationship in front of the kids which they find it so hard to live in themselves because we are ourselves like i get stories from couple i was counseling this couple today and he said we don't want our kids to know what is happening between us and i said your kids will anyway come to know about it it's better that you know you 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 don't see keep it i'm not saying that you need to fight like cats and dogs but make that imperfection is not necessarily a flaw or a failure it's something as just human mm-hmm. so be relatable be approachable for me when i was a kid i would always look my parents as somewhere which is a higher authority now for me my kid knows that he is an equal in the family he knows an equal i'm not pretending to be someone you know who has done it all and i i try to be fair like uh, he was just uh, he was touching himself like you know say mas- now we i don't call it as a masturbation it's like being curious kids are curious about yeah. their bodies yeah now i know parents who yell at their kids and who say what are you doing like you know like really scream what are you doing if they found their kids touching their genitalia so you are actually creating that fear in the kids mind and you are also creating a curiosity because he is going to do or she is going to do what you are stopping him to do you cannot stop him you cannot say you can't do it you need to make them aware that okay there are boundaries so i tell okay you go and you you have this room and you want to touch yourself you go but it's not wrong if i say you can't do it he has all the more reasons to be intrigued about it and he will go on internet or he will go to his friends yeah. so to not create that embargo around sexuality know that your kid is growing up in a world which is filled with images sexually explicit images we are showing 
kids they are taking our kids to movies where the 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 you know the the actor and the actress are kissing they are they like you know it's a lip lock yeah and then we we assume or we expect our kids not to think about it how it is possible yeah no it's so true it's so true and i think that's a brilliant idea of giving it the boundaries and i totally agree with you about no shame and making them very familiar with their body but also aware that there's things that they if they want to do that give them the space to do it but also maybe introducing the idea that it's a private thing because um, actually doing it gently like that means that they'll never have that awkwardness and as you say they're still going to do it but they'll just maybe find it a bit shameful or not want to talk to you about it plus I guess there's a whole as they get older we're only the parents you know you want them to feel like they they can find the right person in their life that will give them the advice even if it's not us you know we don't have to be the people they go to for everything but I suppose I do I do so I'm quite um I do get a bit worried about the 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 online stuff sometimes because I don't think kids are looking for it but I think when they're little if they come into contact with something and see something that's quite confusing and then unusual I remember years ago my um my 12 year old when he was probably he's probably about eight or nine and he had searched up with a friend I think he searched something silly like hot girl boobs and just seen loads and loads of pictures of women's boobs women's breasts and I had to do this really delicate chat about how just because you could look it up didn't mean you were allowed to see everybody's and that not every woman that he knew would have, would have somewhere a picture of their breasts on the internet. And it was like, you know, it's probably a lot of information for him, but, you know, it's a, it's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, I know I've spoken a lot about consent. It's probably just because as the mother of sons, I feel like it's something that's such a... I feel quite a lot of responsibility in making sure that the right side of the tracks were there. So I get the impression from what you're doing that you're really quite ambitious. And actually, if you've only been doing what you do out, as you say, since um, 2018, you've already achieved so much. What, what are your hopes for the future? Do you have a kind of idea of what you want to do? Yeah, so certainly I am uh, I'm also running you know, it as an organisation. So I don't... I really want this legacy. I feel that there is this legacy I'm trying to create and I want it to be there and have more and more people join this uh, and be like, you know, like sex education uh, as, a, as a profession is still not something that youngsters are looking up to. So I want to really encourage and motivate more and more young people to become sexuality educators because there is a dire need. So that is one thing is I really want uh, people to be inspired and understand the necessity and you know importance of this profession uh, and uh, also I'm launching courses on intimacy where there will be courses on self-pleasuring or the courses on you know how to get over a sexless marriage or fantasies how to fantasize this is the this is the course I'm actually working on you know in recent days so I'm very uh, optimistic about uh, these courses as these would be like scientifically accurate at the same time this is more personalized uh, and keeping that fine balance between, you know, sensuality, like really being sensual but not being obscene. Obviously, for you, it's you'll be thinking a lot about India, the place where you grew up and the culture you grew up in, and how mm-hmm. much room that has to grow. But do you think, when you look around, do you feel like everywhere's got got room to to evolve when it comes to the way they talk about sex? Yes, I tell you. So I can actually. Uh, uh, so I was in touch with this, um, uh, she's a Tantra coach, so Tantra is also a, you know, a discipline of sexuality, Eastern discipline where 
there's a lot of emergence mer- between tantra and sexuality so she's a tantra coach and she's a european and uh, she's from netherlands and she's a single mother and her kids are like 15 and 16 so we were talking we were collaborating for a talk which was basically uh, you know masturbation it was it was basically a facilitated masturbation experiences camera off so that was a very you know uh, i would say uh, way ahead of its times kind of a workshop oh, wow. that we did so you were actually doing a workshop with people masturbating with the camera yes. off Yes wow. so that was uh, so that was her brainchild and she got me as a facilitator where I would uh, guide them in with the music and instructions and you know creating that mood so so it was like there was no nudity because for them the cameras was off I was clothed yeah yeah uh, yeah and during the preparation of a talk I just asked her that how is it in your country you know you are from europe so she said pallavi it's better than india but i'm a I'm a sexuality coach or an educator and when my kids went to school so their peers their the students said that you know your mother is a prostitute. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's helpful. Wow. Yes. That's funny because you think about somewhere like the Netherlands as being really I mean the perception from where I'm sitting is that they'd be really quite um quite relaxed actually about all the nuances within that world but obviously not. But I suppose as well for for kids um it's an easy way to um you know using wrong terminology is a very easy way to get a rise out of out of people as well and um yeah i just i suppose there's just a lot of discomfort and in a lot of people it's what what you go home to how your parents have raised you how they talk about sex these all factor into you know if you if you've been encouraged to feel shameful about it at home you might want to push that that shame out there too um because it's quite threatening maybe when your your peers actually are pretty relaxed and they grow up in a home where it's more relaxed. I don't know. Yeah. But that's really I would I, w- I was quite surprising that. I mean is it something that your your son I know that my 9 year old is quite eh, he's sort of semi interested in what I get up to for a living, not massively. Mm-hmm. Is it something you've that your son talks to you about? Okay, my son. So um yes because you know he has he has heard this word so many times like sexuality <laughs> or sex so he definitely uh, he he did ask me and sometimes he even used this word like you know okay i know you you must be talking something about sex and i was like very jolted like what are you saying but then i realized okay if i am trying to normalize the word i should be prepared i should not be intimidated when i am hearing it from my own son because it was a curiosity so uh, right now he's not really asked me the question but you know i do talk about uh, like when it comes to touching the body so i say it's a body education like if he really because as i said it's age appropriate and you can yeah. choose to be you you can choose your words in a way that these are not ambiguous or these are not bogus like saying that you know what you're doing your mother is a body educator you know she helps people understand their bodies so that's something i have thought of uh, in, in fact you know even i found him watching some pictures uh, that just popped up on his screen when he was surfing youtube and uh, his friends told me that you know that your uh, he was watching something wedding picture so they said it's a wedding picture with a man and a woman <laughs> and that's their interpretation so i told him that see this is not for your age this you know you know you understand driving you can't drive I, he said yeah i can't drive because you don't have a license you need to be mm-hmm. 18 so similarly in the similar fashion there are many things that is not this is not at for at this age but this is for adults so you know 
finding the right way to speak like tomorrow if he asks me that okay mom what do you do so I, if he's like right now he's 9 and say 10 and 11 so he i will say sexuality is something that you know it's two adults connect yeah. with each other on a personal private intimate level you know that's the kind of language i will create without feeling ashamed or embarrassed yeah now that sounds like a really sensible way to deal with it and i like the idea of um of saying some things are meant for adults because actually sometimes when we we have all the context for what they're seeing but they don't they just know they've walked into you know it's like walking into the wrong room isn't it like oh i'm not supposed to be in here shut that door and then if they do have anything that confuses them or you know they're curious about it, they can always ask you but sometimes we kind of we fill in a lot of gaps that maybe they're not not actually thinking about right now um and i suppose when you sort of look back at your you know at everything that's happened does it do you feel like really i don't know impressed with how your sort of bravery and your strength of how you've managed to move your life on that is such a profound question i'm so glad that you know in this moment itself i just reflected back uh, onto my journey so i really feel that i was uh, god's chosen child like you know to really come onto this because there have been so many sexless marriages and what what happened with me was not something i would say it was very unique to me but i think you know i was just destined i believe in uh, the universal energy i don't believe in the you know the symbolic figures of you know the gods and the goddesses but i do believe in that goodness and energy and the universe the universal principles so i feel that okay i was just destined to do and i'm very glad that i was chosen for this um and i chose to do this i'm very glad because and every day i tell you even with certain setbacks like this you know instagram block or something uh, when people reach out to me and they say that you know they really uh, take value and my posts are blessing for them or i we learn so much from your post i think that's the kind of validation for my work is it so important yeah 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 and i can really get a sense of that i mean i think that that's that's an amazing feeling actually to kind of be be able to feel like you can be the voice for all the people you want feeling comfortable about speaking out. Yeah. That's yeah. and that's that means that it never feels like work. It's more like a you're quite sort of driven. It gives you a, a daily momentum for for setting up your stall and thinking, you know, I want to reach everybody and make sure they feel they can explore all that and have those conversations. Do you sometimes have it as well with your friends where they kind of come to you and they say like you've actually really helped help me? I bet you do. Yeah, yes. Yes, it it does happen when they say like even my sessions when they say um that you know it has really helped me and uh, i mean it's, it's i always tell them that you know it's not just about fixing a problem but it also about enhancing the quality of your relationship so see from that perspective and thankfully now people are thinking from that direction that you know seeking out couple coaching or even say for a th- from a therapist couple therapist um uh, it's not a matter of shame or to say that something is wrong but it's about you know i have this luxury relationship like i always give this analogy that you know if you have a luxury car if you have a mercedes so you would not try to fix it yourself you will go to an expert to fix the mercedes so your marriage is your mercedes you need yeah. to go to an expert <laughs> yeah yeah well i guess also when you've spoken a lot about um you know the, the about your mind and your body and how you say your body you know you're helping people educate about their body i think sometimes we still can divorce our our mindset from our bodies you know mm. and there's a lot of times where your body is just the thing getting your your head where it needs to be and your your head and how you're feeling is not connected to how you're feeling about you know in in your skin so yes. i think that whole that holistic approach of 
of just actually seeing the full spectrum of yourself is that is is so important for leading a more fulfilled open happy life and supporting other people do the same yes yes <laughs> good for that all right well, thank you so much for your time i'm gonna let you get off to your are you doing anything nice this evening what's happening in delhi tonight or are you staying in Oh, um, I will just go for a walk and I will see what my kid is doing in the other room. <laughs> you know, it's yes. like I've just locked the door. So I said, told him that, okay, don't come for an hour. Oh, so. <laughs> okay. Well, tell him thank you from me. Tell uh-huh. him thank you for letting sure. me have his mum for a while. Mm-hmm. It's been so nice to talk to you. See and I'll, you, I'll, I'll, I'll be pointing your uh, new people in your direction, your new shiny new Instagram. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, cool. Sophie. I look forward Lots of love. It. So do you see what I mean there with the themes and about how significant it is to have a little pause and think if you're really being very true to yourself in terms of your your ability to articulate your emotional and physical needs, desires, thoughts, and if they're being heard and if you're happy. And I know it's a work in progress, but I suppose the most important thing is a willingness to to sort of give that space and room and make sure that you've actually you're actually checking in with yourself about those things and you know where to turn and who to talk to if you need to. It's such an important thing. You don't win any prizes for for pretending you're into stuff you're not, you know. <laughs> As if you needed telling. I'm sure you don't need telling that. But I thought it was really lovely to speak to Pallavi and I'm so impressed with her. I think it's an exceptionally type, you know, exceptional type of bravery to grow up with one set of values and then be able to articulate that you don't actually, you want to push through taboos. Sorry, I am really woolly in the head today. You can probably tell I'm struggling to articulate myself. I've been up most of the night with a very hot two-year-old who is not feeling very well. And that is on top of not really sleeping very well all week. So that's been great. Although we did manage, once the kids were in bed, we watched Candyman last night. Have you seen it? It's good, actually. I do like a horror. I mean, it's a bit spoofy in parts, but I I did quite enjoy it. Although it's weird. I love horror films. I love being scared. But then when the anticipation of building, I'm most likely to put my fingers in my ears and sort of hide 90% of what I can actually see on the screen. (laughs) So I sort of like them the most in retrospect. I don't know what that says about me. But if you go through my top 10 films, I think probably 70% of them are scary films. Um, this week, what have I got coming up? Oh, so I've recorded another few podcasts for you and I've got a couple of lovely ones that I'm about to release and publish. That I think you'll really enjoy. And next week's one is pretty zhuzhy, actually. Um, I love that word. I've never know how to spell it, but I like saying it. And I'm also recording a couple this week of really amazing people too. So lots of treats in store. Would you believe I'm approaching my 50th guest? That's actually pretty loopy. That's a lot of conversations, that's a lot of chat, and that's a lot of people being completely brilliant guests and talking about lots of things. Just to me, how nice, and then I can share it with you. But I hope you're going to have a lovely week. I'm off to Ireland tomorrow, actually, for a bit of work. And then in and around, it's quite a nice week this week. I've got lots of different things on the go, lots of different areas of my work that are being stimulated this week. (laughs) Areas of my work are being stimulated which is probably taking on from, I don't know, Pallavi and the conversation she has about what's being stimulated. <laughs> like, there's a thread there somewhere, but quite.
quite frankly, I don't really want to go into detail about what my brain was trying to do with that. I don't think it quite worked. That's annoying. Anyway, I'm going to go back and see if Mickey's feeling any better. I think it's probably time for me to go and have a really large coffee just to try and kickstart the cogs in my brain. Because I feel like you can hear them turning very, very slowly. It's not a good way to be, particularly if you're trying to talk to someone <laughs> and record yourself speaking to someone and you're hoping that they enjoy what you're saying. So on that wonderful note, I'm going to bid you adieu. Have a lovely week and I'll see you next time. And thank you as ever for lending me your ears. And I hope all is good with you. Lots and lots of love. See you soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.